السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونؤمن به ونتوكل عليه ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلله فلا هادي له ونشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له ونشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله صلى الله تعالى عليه وعلى آله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا كثيرا أما بعد فعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا سلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد Respected listeners Allah سبحانه وتعالى says in the in سورة البقرة of the Holy Quran الشيطان يعدكم الفقر ويأمركم بالفحشاء والله يعدكم مغفرة منه وفضلا والله واسع عليم الشيطان threatens you with poverty and instructs you to indecency and Allah promises you forgiveness from himself and grace. And Allah is bountiful, all-knowing. This particular verse is originally in the context of charity. But the meaning isn't, the meaning and the message aren't restricted to just charity. In the context of charity, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us of a reality that affects all of us and which prevents us from spending in charity and giving in the way of Allah and becoming so deeply attached to wealth. It's a reality of life. Prior to this verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu anfiqu min tayyibati ma kasabtum wa mimma akhrajna lakum min al-ard wa la tayammamu al-khabitha minh tunfiquna wa lastum bi-akhidihi illa antumiduhu wa alamu anna Allah ghaniyun hameed ash-shaytanu ya'idakum al-faqr Allah says, O oh believers, spend of the pure things of which we have earned and of what and of that which we have extracted for you from the earth and do not aim for the worst thereof such that you would spend it but you would not take it without closing your eyes to it and know that Allah is independent 
full of praise. الشيطان يعدكم الفقر And then the next verse that the devil threatens you with poverty and instructs you to indecency. And Allah promises forgiveness from himself and bounty. And Allah is most bountiful, full of knowledge. Then Allah also says, Allah grants wisdom to whomever he wishes. And whoever is given wisdom, then indeed he has been given great good. And none take heed except those who possess intelligence. This is a complete set of verses and they come towards the end or in, towards the, in the final fifth of the longest surah of the Qur'an, Surah Al-Baqarah. And this final fifth of Surah Al-Baqarah concerns itself with wealth. Wealth, its reality, man's attachment to wealth, his relationship with wealth, his reluctance to spend, and most importantly, the virtue of spending in the way of Allah and giving in charity. So it's in the context of these verses, in general, in the fifth, final fifth of Surah Al-Baqarah, and in the context of these few verses which I have just recited, that Allah informs us of this reality. الشيطان يعيدكم الفقر ويأمركم بالفحشاء والله يعيدكم مغفرة منه وفضلا That shaytan threatens you with poverty and instructs you to indecency. And Allah promises you forgiveness and bounty and grace. And this is the topic of today's talk, inshallah. The promise of Allah and the promise of shaytan. This is the reality of life in the dunya. We do so much of what we do, if not everything, in the hope or in exchange for promises. We buy and sell in exchange of promises. The buyer sells his goods against the promise of receiving money in return and with the expectation of receiving money in return. And the buyer purchases the goods with the expectations, with the expectation, sorry, a buyer purchases a good and offers the money and payments with the expectation of goods in return and against a promise given by the seller. We enter into contracts, into personal relationships, friendships, into employment, even in marriage, all with a promise and an expectation. Everyone expects something from the other and everyone makes a promise to the other. Husband and wife exchange vows, promising so much to each other at the time of marriage. And along with their promises, whilst giving a promise, the other part, uh, the promising party expects promises in return and expects the fulfillment of those promises. So these two things, promises and expectations, govern 
almost all of our dealings. And this is no different with our, in our dealings with Allah as well as with Shaitan. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has promised us so much. We believe because Allah has promised us so much in return. And one of the du'as which we have been taught and which we all recite is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us part of a longer du'a رَبَّنَا إِنَّنَا سَمِعْنَا مُنَادِيًا يُنَادِي لِلْإِيمَانِ أَنْ آمِنُوا بِرَبِّكُمْ فَآمَنَّا that, O oh, our Lord, indeed, we heard a caller calling out to us, to faith, that believe in your Lord. So, O oh, our Lord, we have believed. رَبَّنَا آمَنَّا فَاغْفِرْ لَنَا ذُنُوبَنَا So forgive us our sins. وَكَفِّرْ عَنَّا سَيِّئَاتِنَا And shed our ill deeds from us. وَتَوَفَّنَا مَعَ الْأَبْرَارِ And accept us in death amongst the pious, with the pious. And then, رَبَّنَا وَآتِنَا مَا وَعَدْتَنَا عَلَى رُسُلِكَ That, O oh, oh Lord, grant us what you have promised to us through your messengers. وَلَا تُخْزِنَا يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ And do not disgrace us on the day of resurrection. So, this verse makes it very clear that we have heard the call of the messenger. To faith, we have believed. We have believed in expectation of the promise of Allah being fulfilled to us. And we actually say it. Oh, our Lord, we have believed. So forgive us our sins. Shed from us our misdeeds. And grant us what you have promised to us through your messengers. So even in our relationship with Allah, much Governs that relationship, sorry, what governs that relationship is the promise of Allah. Now, Allah has made many promises. And Shaytan has made many promises. And these are covered in the Quran. Long before us, Shaytan made a promise to Allah. He said, O oh Allah, O oh my Lord, just as you have led me astray, I will surely sit on the straight path before them. And then I will surely come to them from in front of them, from behind them from their right-hand side, from their left-hand left side. And then you will surely find many of them, most of them, not being grateful. So shaitan made that promise to Allah. And in another verse, it's even more explicit. Oh my Lord, I will surely take from your servants a fixed share. Meaning, some of your servants will be mine. I will claim them. I will claim a fixed share of your servants. وَلَأُضِلَّنَّهُمْ وَلَأُمَنِّيَنَّهُمْ وَلَآمُرَنَّهُمْ 
And when I've translated all of these verses with the emphasis that I will surely, I will most assuredly, I will definitely, this isn't an embellishment in language on my part. This is the this is the actual translation of the verses. The syntax and the formats of these verses, every one of them is with emphasis. With emphasis, he said to Allah, He says, and I will most assuredly misguide them. And I will most assuredly give them false hope, give them hope. And I will most assuredly instruct them. And then he repeats it again in, in the verse. And then again. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says of him, That shaitan promises them. And gives them hope. But in reality, shaitan does not promise them anything except deception. Our whole life is about promises and expectations. So what are these promises that shaitan gives us? And what are these hopes and dreams that shaitan feeds us? Very simple. The love of the dunya, the love of wealth, the belief that we are only for this world. That there is nothing beyond. Attachment to this world. The false promise and the false hope of riches, of wealth. And not just riches and wealth, but also of peace, of joy, of happiness, of tranquility, which we all seek. Shaitan gives us the false hope that we will discover this joy this felicity, this bliss, this happiness, this tranquility in many different things, whether it's in food, drinks, substances, in most importantly, in relationships, in wealth, in possessions, in goods, in belongings, in assets, in money, in fame, in prestige. Regardless of where and when shaitan promises all of these things to us, it's a deception. And that's why Allah, he said to Allah, I will most assuredly lead them astray. I will most assuredly give them hope. I will most assuredly instruct them. Then they will Disobey Allah, commit sins. It's a longer verse. Then at the end of it, Allah says, He promises them and He feeds them hopes. And Shaitan does not promise them anything except deception. We are surrounded by the promise of Allah and by the promise of Shaitan. And Shaitan doesn't just promise us, He actually threatens us. He feeds us. He fills us with fear. And that's what that verse tells us. Shaitan threatens you with poverty. This is what drives desire. This is what drives greed. This is what drives anger. 
the fear of loss. We are not content with enough food and drink and shelter and clothing for today and for tomorrow. But we are filled with this fear that at some given point in the future, I will be lacking these things. I will lose these things. And so to thwart that possibility of great loss later, we wish to fill our coffers right now with enough that even if we did suffer a loss, we would be left with sufficient possessions to compensate for that loss. It's that fear of loss, it's that fear of poverty which drives us. That's what feeds greed. And compare us to the animals. We say of animals that animals have this basic instinct of survival. That in order to survive, animals will do anything. And that they lack our intelligence. They lack our foresight. They lack our perception. They lack our planning. And that animals are dumb brutes and beasts that live for the day and never think or cannot think beyond. But there's a downside to that as well. There's a flip side to that. And that flip side is we are also filled with greed and ambition. Animals may not have that perception and that farsightedness and that foresight, but they also lack this terrible quality of shuh, of greed. An animal takes as much as it needs, nothing beyond. Man, in his greed, does so. And this is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, الشيطان يعيدكم الفقر ويأمركم بالفحشاء That shaytan threatens you with fuqr, with poverty, and instructs you to indecency. And the two are connected. That's why in a number of hadith, Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa has explained, in one hadith he says, إِيَّاكُمْ وَالشُّحْ That beware of greed, beware of avarice. And then he goes on to explain in the hadith, that it's this greed, it's this avarice, which destroyed those who came before you. Greed led them to shedding each other's blood. Greed, this is the <clears throat> meaning of more than one hadith. Prophet ﷺ says it was greed which incited them to murder, shedding blood. It was greed which incited them to committing open sins. It was greed which led them to committing this sin, to committing that sin. And this is exactly what this verse says. The two are not unconnected. When shaitan threatens us with poverty, in our pursuit of wealth, and of the accumulation of wealth, we inevitably end up committing sins, major and minor. And not only that, in our pursuit of wealth, in our lavish pursuit of wealth, in our greed, we end up developing a character which is filled with corruption and indecency. So that even if we do not need to commit a wrong, we will still commit it anyway because it's now become part of the luxury of our, char- of our corrupt character. 
So the two go hand in hand. This is why Ibn Jarir al-Tabari rahmatullahi relates a beautiful narration, Athar, from a tabi'i who says that I was performing tawaf around the Kaaba. When I heard a man constantly reciting one dua, when a person is in the mataf, is around the Kaaba and praying to Allah, that is a time, a place, an occasion for the acceptance of one's dua. One chooses and selects one's dua. During tawaf, or even whilst just standing near the Kaaba, or sitting near the Kaaba, and engaged in any act of worship. So he says, whilst I was doing tawaf, I heard someone constantly making one dua, repeatedly. He would make no other dua, just one dua. And that dua was, Allahumma qini shuha nafsi. O oh Allah, save me from the greed of my soul. O oh Allah, save me from the greed of my soul. O oh Allah, save me from the greed of my soul. So he says, when I drew closer, lo and behold, the person making this dua was none other than the companion of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Abdurrahman ibn Awf radiyallahu anhu. And Abdurrahman ibn Awf radiyallahu anhu was simply reciting this one dua repeatedly, Allahumma qini shuha nafsi, Allahumma qini shuha nafsi, O oh Allah, save me from the greed of my soul, O oh Allah, protect me from the greed of my soul. So I said to him, why do you make only this one dua? So he said, if Allah saves me and protects me from the greed of my soul, then Allah will save me from committing this sin and that sin and this sin and that sin. And then he listed a number of sins. <coughs> And that's exactly what this verse tells us. Greed. This is what the Sahaba radiallahu anhum learned from Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. That protect yourselves, beware from and beware of greed. Shah. Because it's greed which destroyed the nations that came before you. It's greed which incited them to committing sins. Abdurrahman ibn Awf radiallahu anhu near the Kaaba, repeatedly only made this dua. And his explanation was that if, it, if Allah saves me from greed, greed will then, Allah will then save me from committing this sin and that sin, this sin and that sin. And that's exactly what this verse tells us. That shaitan threatens you with poverty and instructs you to indecency, corruption, sin. The two go hand in hand. The love of wealth, the pursuit of wealth, goes hand in hand with fahsha, eventually. Now, this does not mean that Allah has not told us to create wealth, to generate wealth, to earn wealth. Of course he has. But... The philosophy of wealth in Islam is a very wholesome and comprehensive philosophy. And it consists mainly of three things. One, earn wealth. Do not be dependent on anyone else. Stand on your own feet. 
create wealth for yourselves, for your loved ones, for your families, for others. Once you have created this wealth, and that's why in the Muslim tradition, we have been, in, we have been told that we can trade all the way up to Jumu'ah Salah, Adhan. And then after Adhan in Surah Al-Jumu'ah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, when the call is given for the Friday prayer, then what do you do? And that's Adhan, Fadharul Bayyim. فَسْعُوا إِلَىٰ ذِكْرِ اللَّهِ وَذَرُوا الْبَيْءِ Then hasten towards remembrance of Allah, meaning the khutbah, the sermon of Jumu'ah, and leave trading. Then thereafter Allah says, فَإِذَا قُضِيَتِ الصَّلَاةُ فَانْتَشِرُوا فِي الْأَرْضِ وَابْتَغُوا مِنْ فَضْلِ اللَّهِ Then when the salah, the prayer of Jumu'ah is completed, then disperse in the land of Allah and seek of the bounty and grace of Allah. What these verses tell us is that you can trade all the way up to Jumu'ah and then even after Jumu'ah, you can go back to trading, earning, and seeking the provision and the bounty of Allah. Muslims do not necessarily have this, or in fact, the, the Qur'an clearly tells us that there is no concept of a whole day of rest, because Allah rested too. Now, even on the holy day of Jumu'ah, we can, and in fact, the verse actually suggests that we are encouraged that after Jumu'ah, go out and seek the bounty of Allah. So we have been strongly encouraged to earn, to provide for ourselves, for our, lo- for our loved ones, our families. But within, with modera- in moderation, within limits. And once we have gathered that wealth, then what should be our relationship our, with that wealth, our attitude to that wealth? This is a second part. This is a second part of that philosophy of wealth in Islam. First is earn. Two, once you have earned it, let it reside. Let it rest in your hand, but let it not reside in your heart. Possess the wealth, but do not let wealth possess you. Do not be so attached to it. Use it as a means. Do not make the goal an objective in itself. And then the third part of that philosophy is once you have earned wealth and you have it in your possession and you do your utmost to ensure that you do not become attached to it, then do the third thing, which is the most important out of the three, which is spend in the way of Allah. Give in charity, share, give to others. And do that quickly before death comes to you. That is the third part. So this is the philosophy of wealth in Islam. Of course we are supposed to earn. But whilst earning and after earning, we have been strongly discouraged to become attached to that wealth. And that attachment comes, that love of wealth comes, that desire to keep it, to control it comes. Not because we need it immediately, but simply because we fear losing it in the future. We fear loss in the future. And to avoid that loss, we are attached to what we have and we want more and more and more. That greed never ends. That's why the Prophet ﷺ says, Imam Bukhari relates this hadith in his Sahih. And many of the authors have recorded this hadith. From a number of Sahaba, 
And this particular narration is from Abdullah ibn Zubayr radiyallahu who says that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, لو أن ابن آدم أعطي واديا ملأ من ذهب لو أن ابن آدم أعطي واديا ملأ من ذهب أحب إليه ثانيا ولو أعطي ثانيا أحب إليه ثالثا ولا يصد جوف ابن آدم إلا التراب ويتوب الله على من تاب رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم says if the son of Adam if man was given a valley full of gold. A valley filled with gold. What would he do? This is man's greed. This is his fear of poverty. This is how much shaitan has filled him with the fear of loss in the future. With the fear of poverty. And with this blind love for wealth. With this attachment for wealth. This is a level of his greed. Now, before I continue explaining the hadith, how much is a valley of gold? We often hear this hadith, but can we visualize it? Can we picture it? Let's put it into perspective. Scientists say that the entire wealth, sorry, the amount of gold ever mined and collected in the whole of history by mankind in its entirety. So all the gold mined and collected and preserved by the whole of mankind in the whole of human history. Do you know how much it comes to? About two to four swimming pools or football fields. Sorry, two to four football fields. Flat. And in terms of depth and volume, we're talking about two to four swimming pools. No more. That's the entire gold ever mined and collected and preserved in the history of mankind. And scientists say that there's a finite amount of gold. This is why it's so precious. There's a finite amount available. Now, the Prophet ﷺ doesn't say a few ounces of gold, if man was given a few ounces. And the, the value, the value of all the gold that's ever been mined and preserved by humans till today, the value is in its trillions. And that's just for two to four swimming pools. Now compare that to what the Prophet says and put the Prophet words in perspective. He's not saying a few ounces or a few coins or a few nuggets or even a bar or a few bars or a crate or a tray, or a crate, or a few crates in a vault. Prophet ﷺ is saying, imagine if an entire valley between two mountains 
was filled with gold and given to man, what would he do? He says, He would desire a second valley. And if he was given a second valley, He would desire a third. And then the Prophet says, That what drives this desire, this greed, what drives it is this emptiness in man, it's this vacuum, it's this hole in him. But the Prophet in the meaning of the hadith, he says, not even gold will fill this vacuum, this cavity. Not even gold. Not even three valleys of gold will fill these, this vacuum and cavity and this longing and emptiness in man. Prophet ﷺ says, after mentioning that he would desire a third, that nothing will fill the inner cavity of man except the soil of the earth, i.e. when he is buried. This is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, That one-upmanship, rivalry and competition with each other, this will continue to distract you. Until when? Until you visit the graves. That means if we do not check this ourselves, if we do not arrest this ourselves, if we do not prevent this ourselves, if we don't change our ways, this blind love of wealth, this blind pursuit of wealth, this endless accumulation of wealth, and this distraction from other more important things, this will continue, this rivalry, this competition, this one-upmanship, this will continue to distract us all the way till our death. We will never learn before then. And I've mentioned a lot of this in the tafsir of Surah Al-Takathur, so I refer you to that. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us that Allah makes you a promise, shaitan makes you a promise. And shaitan's promise is mixed with a threat. He promises you so much and he threatens you with so much. First of all, he threatens you with poverty. And that fear of poverty, that fear of loss, drives your greed. And it prevents you from doing so much. And in fact, the Prophet ﷺ says in the hadith related by many authors, including Imam Hakim in his Al-Mustadrak from Anas ibn Malik radiyallahu anhu and others from Abdullah ibn Abbas radiyallahu anhuma that the Prophet ﷺ said, مَنْ هُمَانْ لَا يَشْبَعَانَ That they are two greedy people who are never filled who are never satisfied. They are never satiated. Their hunger never comes to an end. And who are those two hungry people? One, Talibu Ilmin, the seeker of knowledge. He is never filled. He is never satisfied. His hunger for knowledge is never satiated. His thirst, his thirst for ilm is never quenched. And the second person whose hunger is never satiated, who is never satisfied, 
is dunya, the seeker of the dunya. He will never be happy. The dunya is not meant to, is not designed to, and cannot fill the vacuum and the cavity in man. Allah has told us, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam has told us. But shaitan tells us otherwise. Shaitan says, you can. And this is why man is never happy, no matter how much he has. Whether he has, no man considers himself rich. He always feels poor. And he's driven to collect more, to accumulate more. And that drive to collect more and more wealth makes him corrupt. Now, lest anyone say that, surely, that's very negative, that the pursuit of wealth, attachment to wealth, corrupts a person. What Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us again and again in the Qur'an. The Qur'an tells us that wealth makes a person delusional. It makes him think, believe himself to be immortal. وَيْلٌ لِكُلِّ هُمَزَةٌ الَّذِي جَمَعَ مَالًا وَعَدَّدَةٌ يَحْسَبُ أَنَّ مَالَهُ أَخْلَدَةٌ Woe be unto every defaming, taunting person. He who gathers wealth, accumulates wealth, وَعَدَّدَةٌ and counts it, يَحْسَبُ أَنَّ مَالَهُ أَخْلَدَةٌ He thinks that his wealth will make him ever-living, will give him everlasting life. Man thinks he becomes immortal. And that's also mentioned in the story of the rich man in Surah Al-Kahf. He says, It makes him delusional. That you know what? I think Allah has given me so much that I think none of this will ever perish. In fact, and then he progresses and climbs in his delusion. I think not only will, will my wealth last forever, my lands, my estates, because he was touring his estates and showing them to his poor companion. He's saying, none of this will ever perish. In fact, not only will none of this ever perish, I do not think that the final hour or the resurrection will ever come. And then he says, but, and he progresses further in his delusion, that even if perchance there is the resurrection, there is the final hour, there is the return to our Lord, then I believe that Allah will honor me in the afterlife just as he has honored me here. In fact, I will discover an even better reward there than what God has given me here. So wealth makes a person delusional. Wealth makes a person believe in his or her own immortality. Wealth corrupts, Allah says, Nay, man transgresses because he sees himself as being rich and independent of Allah. Verse after verse testifies to this. Verse after verse. And all of this comes down to this fear of loss, this greed. So shaitan promises so much. He promises us happiness, joy, serenity, tranquility in material possessions. But happiness is 
in the control of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wishes, he can deprive a person of that solace, of that comfort, of that tranquility, of that peace, of that joy, regardless of his or her possessions. And that's why we're always chasing something. The dunya is like a shadow. We chase it, we will never catch it. We ignore it, it will follow us. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam has told us. Allah he who whose concern is the akhirah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will bring the dunya to his feet. And we chase the dunya. When we have these hopes, we think, I'll be happy once I earn money. I'll be happy and settle once I secure this possession, once I procure this. I'll be happy when I get married. I'll be happy when I'm in this relationship. I'll be happy when I'm in that relationship. And yet, every time man gets what he or she always wanted and desired for, lusted after, longed for, worked so hard for, all with the expectation and hope that they will discover happiness and joy, often that very thing becomes a source of misery itself. Even marriages, even relationships, even friendships, even jobs, employment, work, even possessions, belongings, even wealth itself, that's because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala controls joy, controls happiness, controls sukoon, sakina, tranquility. If Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wishes, he could simply extract that from all of these things. The shell is there, the body is there, but the happiness, the joy, the meaning, the purpose, the tranquility is missing. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has not placed peace in any of these things. That's shaitan's false promise. That's not the promise of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In fact, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, That to each, earlier on he says, Allah describes two people in the earlier two verses, in the preceding two verses. And the two people are, Allah says, those who seek the ajila. Ajila meaning the quick life, the transient life, this life, its passing phase. It's transient. So those who seek the quick life, we quickly give them whatever we want to whom we want. Then Allah says, Then we make Jahannam for him. And in the next verse, but whoever seeks the Akhirah and works and strives for the Akhirah whilst being a mu'min, then these are the ones whose efforts shall be recognized and acknowledged and rewarded. 
Then Allah says to both the ones who seek the akhirah as well as the ones who seek the quick life. To both we give wealth, we give the dunya. To each, meaning the ones who seek the dunya, the quick life, or the ones who seek the second life. To both, we give of the provisions and the bounty of your Lord. And the bounty of your Lord is not restricted from anyone. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives freely. Because Allah has not put joy, happiness, tranquility, and peace in any of these things. Not even in fame, not even in power. Those who are powerful want to become even more powerful. Those who are the most powerful are still not satisfied with their power. Those who have the most wealth are still not content with their wealth. And those who have, may not have wealth, they may not have power, but they have fame. They have a celebrity status. Even they are not content. They are still seeking something elsewhere. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us, أَلَا بِذِكْرِ اللَّهِ تَطْمَئِنُّ الْقُلُوبِ Know that in the dhikr, in the remembrance of Allah, do hearts find tumanina, settlement. Not necessarily peace. Peace, yes, but in the meaning of settlement. Not peace in the meaning of happiness. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has not made the dunya an abode of happiness. We live a life of difficulty. Allah says that. Ya ayyuhal insan, innaka kadihun ila rabbika kadhan famulaqih. O man, you are toiling a toil unto your Lord. You are struggling a struggle unto your Lord. We were born in pain. We live in pain. And we will die in pain. We were born in suffering. We live in suffering. We will leave the world in suffering. That's a reality of life. So what about happiness? Happiness are those few moments that puncture our life. Happiness are those few moments in between, like a gasp of fresh air, which allow us to feel happy in comparison to everything else. And as someone said, imagine if we were happy all the time, we'd be miserable. Allah has not made the dunya an abode of happiness. So when Allah promises that in the remembrance of Allah do hearts find Settlement. We often translate that as peace. What's the meaning of that peace? The, pe- the meaning of peace is not happiness. It's, it's settlement. Itmitnan in Arabic means being settled. Not being disturbed. Not being unsettled. Not being perturbed. And that's why the Prophet ﷺ, despite suffering bereavement after bereavement, and tests and trials in his own life, Prophet ﷺ was the most mutma'in, he was the most settled, the most content out of all of the servants of Allah, the one most at peace, but his peace did not necessarily mean happiness. Ibrahim radiallahu anhu passed away, his children passed away, 
His sons and daughters passed away. He suffered bereavement after bereavement. One can't say he was happy on these occasions, but he was content with the decree of Allah. He was settled. He was at peace with the decree of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So what happiness do we seek in contrast to the happiness of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa Allah has not made this abode an abode of happiness. And so these are the false promises of shaitan. He promises us so much in wealth, in name, in fame, in glamour, in glitz, in the beauty of the world. But all of this is a deception. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us again and again, it's a deception. Allah tells us, shaitan has made you a promise. I make you a promise. And in one verse, Allah says it very clearly. Tying all three of these together, the promise of Allah, the promise of shaitan, and the reality of worldly life. In more than one verse. Ya ayyuhal nas, inna wa'adallahi haqq, fala taghurrannakum al-hayat al-dunya, wala yaghurrannakum billahi al-gharur. O mankind, indeed, the promise of Allah is true. So let's not the worldly life ever deceive you. And let not ever the great deceiver deceive you. And who's a great deceiver? Shaitan. Shaitan makes us many promises. And him, some people may think, well, no one whispers anything to me. We receive this promise, these false promises of Shaitan, through many different means, through each other. That's what Allah says. Nay, the wrongdoers, they give promises to each other. And their promises are naught but deception. Nay, the wrongdoers do not promise each other anything except deception. We promise each other. We give these messages to each other. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes a number of promises. And shaitan makes promises. Shaitan threatens us with poverty. That fear drives us. And that fear drives us to corruption, to committing sins, to committing indecency. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, in contrast, Allah promises you forgiveness and grace and bounty from himself. And as I said, this is in the context of the verses of charity, and I'll mention that in a moment. But what's telling is what Allah mentions thereafter in the next verse. Allah says, Allah promises grace and bounty from Himself and forgiveness. Wallahu alim, and Allah is full of bounty, full of knowledge. Yutil Allah grants hikmah, wisdom to whoever He wants. and whoever is given wisdom. Then indeed he has been given great good. And none take heed. None are admonished. None will take a lesson except those who possess intelligence. Like I said, this is a comprehensive set of verses. We think wealth, good is in wealth, in fame, in the dunya. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us. Allah doesn't tell us that 
Whoever Allah gives wealth, Allah has given them much. In fact, Allah says, to anyone Allah gives wealth. The seekers of the dunya, the quick life, or the seekers of the second life. It doesn't matter. But hikmah, wisdom, knowledge, understanding, sagacity, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala only gives to those whom he wishes to. Whom he wants to. Whom he wishes to bless. That's why Imam Bukhari, Imam Muslim and others all relate a hadith from Sayyidina Mu'awit ibn Abi Sufyan. Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, مَنْ يُرِدِ اللَّهُ بِهِ خَيْرًا Whomever Allah wishes good for, what does Allah do? Give him wealth? No. مَنْ يُرِدِ اللَّهُ بِهِ خَيْرًا Whomever Allah wishes good for, يُفَقِّهُ فِي الدِّينِ Allah gives him understanding in religion. That's wealth. That's wealth. This is why the Prophet ﷺ says in a hadith related by Uthman ibn Affan and by others. That who's, well, who's the best of you? These aren't the words of the hadith, but this is the meaning of the hadith. Who is the best of you? Prophet says, The best of you is one who learns the Quran and who teaches it. That's the true wealth. That's the real wealth. But we won't understand this unless we are ones of al-bab, of intelligence. And this is why the ulama have always said that if you are unable to appreciate the parables and the similitudes of the Holy Qur'an, then you should question yourself. Because Allah says, only the intelligent understand. Only the ones who possess understanding take heed. If you cannot be admonished by the examples of Allah, if you cannot take heed of the similitudes of Allah, if you cannot understand the parable struck by Allah in the Quran, then you should question yourself because Allah says only those who possess intelligence understand. Now this is a difficult message for us to perceive that wealth is not necessarily good. But if Allah wishes good for someone, Allah gives them wisdom. And that's why the verse says, And whoever is given wisdom, Not just khayra, not Allah doesn't say he's just been given some good, khayran kathira, he has been given great good. And only those who possess intelligence take heed. Imam Bukhari, Imam Muslim and others all relate a hadith from Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu anhu. Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam says we, we envy others, we look at others. And we look at others and we, we say to ourselves, we say to each other, I wish I could have that. We covet other people's belongings, possessions, their achievements. We want the same. Sometimes we want them to be deprived of it and for us to have it. This is why in Arabic there's a clear distinction. There's a difference between hasad and ghibta. And it's not jealousy and envy, no. Hasad is a brilliant distinction in Arabic. In Arabic, hasad doesn't mean jealousy. Jealousy is ghira or ghira, pronounced both ways. Ghayra, 
and this is jealousy even in English, غيرة is when you become passionate about something that belongs to you. And envy is when you become passionate about something that belongs to someone else. And in Arabic, there are clear distinctions between all three. Ghayra, also pronounced ghayra, hasan and ghibta. Ghayra is when you are possessive. Passionate about what belongs to you. The other two, hasad and ghibta. Hasad is when you envy someone something. But what you wish is that they lose that thing, regardless of whether you get it or not. That's hasad. And ghibta in Arabic means a longing for something. It's not envy, it's a longing for something, which means you want something which someone else has, but you do not desire that that person loses it. So ghibta is when you want it, regardless of whether the other person keeps it or not. And hasad is when you want the other person to lose it, regardless of whether you get it or not. Now, hasad is haram. Ghibta is permissible only in good things. And the Prophet says in this hadith related by Imam Bukhari, Imam Muslim and others, from Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu anhu, and this is in reference to our desiring, our longing, our coveting what other people have. Our envying other people, their possessions, or even their achievements. He says, la hasad, there is no envy, there, or there should be no envy. There should be no longing. There should be no coveting. La hasad. Illa fithnatayn except in two things. Rajulun atahu Allahu malan fasallatahu ala halakatihi fil haq. A man whom Allah has given wealth and then Allah has given him the ability to spend that wealth in truth. So not just we shouldn't desire to be in the shoes of someone who's rich. No. We should only desire to be in the shoes of someone who's rich and then Allah has given him the ability to use that wealth in haqq, in truth, to spend in a good way. And the second person that we should be envious of or whose possessions, whose achievements we should long for, which we should co- covet, if we do ever, is Prophet sallallahu says, وَرَجُلٌ آتَاهُ اللَّهُ الْحِكْمَةِ فَهُوَ يَقْضِي بِهَا وَيُعَلِّمُهَا And a man whom Allah has given hikmah, wisdom. So he judges by that wisdom and he preaches and teaches that wisdom. Knowledge, hikmah, that is the true wealth. That is the true wealth. This is why one of the kings of Islam, the earlier Arab kings, he was surrounded by his courtiers and in the royal court, surrounded by riches. And he said, he lacked nothing. But he said, do you know what I long for? What I wish? I wish that I sit here and I have a large group of people in front of me, around me, and I say to them, حَدَّثَنَا فُلَانٌ قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا فُلَانٌ That I relate to you, that such and such person related to me, that such and such person related to me, 
all the way to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. He was the emperor. And he lacked nothing. He had name, fame, power, glitz, glamour, glory, riches beyond imagination. Yet, ruler absolute. Yet, what he longed for is what those poor people sitting on the ground had, which he lacked, which is their knowledge that stretched back with a chain to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa He had all the treasures of the world, but that was a real treasure which he coveted. And he was noble in that longing. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Shaytan threatens you with poverty. Allah promises you forgiveness and grace. And Allah is full of bounty and knowledge. He grants wisdom to whomever he wishes. And whoever is given wisdom, then indeed he has been given much wisdom. And only those who possess intelligence will understand. I'll end with two things. One, a quick explanation of the verses that preceded this verse, which puts this verse into context. As I said right at the beginning, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, O believers, Ya Spend of the pure things that you have earned. And spend of the pure things of what we have extracted for you from the earth. Meaning, O believers, when it comes to giving in charity, Give the best of your belongings. Give the best of your earnings. The purest of your earnings. And produce. So if you are farmers, your wealth is in produce or livestock, then give the best thereof. Knowing that we have extracted it for you, we have bestowed it on. And what's the meaning give the best? Allah then says, And do not aim for the worst thereof, meaning for the worst of your wealth or the worst of your produce. What's the worst? The worst is that which you would spend, you were willing to give it away. But you would never take it yourself without closing your eyes to the insult. That's the meaning of the worst. So imagine if you are in need and you are a beggar. You go to someone extending your hand in need, seeking their help. You expect a new hope for, let's say, a hundred pounds from them. And they give you ten pence. What do you do? If you're noble, then you won't say anything. You will take it. Of course, you've been hurt. You've been slighted. In a way, you may feel insulted. That you expected a hundred. You are despondent. Your hopes are dashed. You are in great need. And you came with such high hopes. But your hopes have been dashed. And it's almost an insulting amount that you need a hundred for your pressing needs. And you have been given ten pence. So what do you do? If you're noble, 
Some people do throw it back. But Allah, Allah is talking about those who don't. Allah says those who take, what will they do? You will take it. How? Silently, but not approvingly. You will take it silently and suppressing your hurt, your indignation, and maybe even your anger. And you will take it with your head lowered and your eyes metaphorically shut and closed to the insult. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us, do not ever give that amount which you will never take yourself. Do not ever give that, not just in amount, but in quality or in quantity, that you would never take yourself without feeling insulted. Give of the best of your wealth. And then Allah says, Shaytan threatens you with poverty. This is, again, what leads us to bukhl, what leads us to stinginess, to miserliness, what leads us to holding on to our wealth. Even though it doesn't really belong to us, it will never belong to us. What belongs to us is what we've eaten. That's what belongs to us. And that's why in the tafsir of Al-Hakum al-Takathur I mentioned, it's a very, I repeat it again and again because this is a very beautiful hadith. In fact, if we were to memorize the hadith, it would make us feel much better, be wiser. Imam Muslim rahmatullahi relates a hadith in his sahih from Abdullah ibn Shakhir radiyallahu He says, I came to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam whilst he was reciting the surah Al-Hakum al-Takathur. He then said, Yaqul ibn Adam, Al-Hakum al-Takathur, the whole surah, that one-upmanship, rivalry, seeking an increase in everything, this distracts you. This has distracted you until you will visit the graves. So the Prophet ﷺ was reciting the surah. So when Abdullah ibn Shakhir came to him, he said to him, He said, Yaqul ibn Adam, Mali, Mali. Man says, My wealth, my wealth. And it's true, we all say that. It's mine, mine, my money, my money. Then the Prophet ﷺ said, And oh man, do you really have any of your wealth? Except that which you've eaten and you've caused to perish. Or that you've worn and worn out. Or that you have given in charity and sent ahead. Truly unique hadith. What the Prophet ﷺ says is that none of your wealth belongs to you, even though you say all the time, my wealth, my wealth. It doesn't belong to you. The only part of your wealth that belongs to you is what you've consumed, what you've used, so that nobody else can have it now. If you've eaten food, it's nourished you, it's sustained you, it's strengthened you, it's gone. Nobody else can have that food. That's yours. That's yours. But you've caused it to perish. That belongs to you. Or clothing. Clothing which you've worn, and you've worn in such a way that you've completely worn out. 
that belongs to you. It's good for no one else. That belongs to you because it served its purpose for you. Now it's no good for anyone else. That belongs to you. And the third thing which belongs to you, any wealth which you have given and which you've deposited, but not deposited in any vault or box or in any bank of the world, any wealth which you have deposited in the bank of Allah in the Akhirah by giving in charity. If you have given anything in charity, that belongs to you. So the one pound which you may have given in the bank of Allah, that belongs to you. But the million which you've got in a vault or in a bank elsewhere, that doesn't belong to you. So who does that belong to? In another hadith related by my Muslim rahmatullahi alayhi in his sahih, Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam says that the servant of Allah says, My wealth, my wealth, my wealth. And of all his wealth, he only has three things. That which he's eaten and caused to perish, that which he's worn and worn out, the same as before. Or which he's given فَقْتَنَا and therefore hoarded a treasure for himself in the Akhirah. It's the same hadith as before, but there's an addition here. The Prophet ﷺ says at the end, وَمَا سِوَى ذَلِكَ فَهُوَ ذَاهِبٌ وَتَارِكُهُ لِلنَّاسِ And whatever else there is, apart from these three things, so apart from the food which we've eaten, apart from the clothing that we've worn, or any charity that we have given in the way of Allah, apart from these three things, Everything else of our wealth, he will soon depart and leave all of that wealth for the people. And in another hadith, Prophet says, Spend. Spend. Do not let. It's in the context of greed. The Prophet warns us against greed and says, Spend, i.e., give in charity. Do not wait for death to come upon you. Before you begin to say, what, what, what do people do at the time of death? Allahu Akbar. Allahu Akbar. What do people do at the time of death or when they fear their death isn't near? near? They divide the wealth. Everyone does that. When they fear that their death is imminent, People divide their wealth. So even whilst they're dying, they make sure that certain people do not get their wealth. Even whilst they're dying, they make sure that certain people do not get their wealth. So the Prophet ﷺ says, in the context of protecting ourselves from greed, give, he says, do not wait till death comes upon you when you then say, this is for such and such a person, this is for such and such a person, this is for such and such a person, and he ends with the beautiful words, when it was already for those people. You held on to it all the way till the end, and right at the end of your life, you began distributing it, saying this belongs to that person, this is for that person, when the Prophet ﷺ says, it was already for those people. That's a reality of wealth. So in this fear of loss, 
And in this fear of poverty, we hold on to our wealth we do not spend in charity. If we do, we give up the worst. What's the worst? It, the worst could be in quantity or in quality. It's a question of proportion. If a man has a million, if a man has a hundred thousand, and he gives five pounds in charity, what is that? It's about proportion. Umar radiallahu anhu says in a hadith later about Imam Tirmidhi, Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam made an announcement. I said, this day I will compete with Abu Bakr. And if there is any day when I can beat him, it shall be this day. So I took half of my wealth. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa said to me, and I told him, Ya Rasulullah, I have brought half of my wealth. Abu Bakr radiallahu anh came and presented his wealth. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa didn't say to him, what have you brought, O Abu Bakr? He said to him, oh Abu Bakr, what have you left for your family? Abu Bakr radiallahu anh said, I've brought everything. I've left Allah and his Rasul for my family. Umar radiallahu anh said, I then realized that never will I be able to compete with Abu Bakr. Never. So it's not just about, it's about proportion. We may spend a hundred, but if that's a tiny amount and a minute proportion of our overall wealth, then is that really the best of our wealth in quantity or quality? Would we give, we are giving it, would we take it if we needed it ourselves? In Islam, there's a saying, well, not in Islam, but the saying is, beggars can't be choosers. In Islam, it's the opposite. Remember the phrase, in Islam, donors can't be choosers. We can't choose what we, of course we can, but what the teaching of Allah is in this verse, is that do not be choosy when it comes to giving. Do not be choosy when it comes to giving. You can't be choosers. You have to, you, well, you don't have to, but you should give the best. In quantity as well as in quality. And this is why when we give in charity, we, in a way, we should be mindful of our intention. We use things partially, leave them lying around. And then when we do a spring clean, we want out, since the new collection new spring collection is coming into the wardrobe, we need to create space. So we, what we loved and desired before gets pulled down, rumbled and thrown into a sack or a bin bag. What do we, what do we think? Shall I put that in the bin or in the skip? But we feel guilty that, that you know, it's still valuable. So I don't feel right throwing it away. To, so to assuage our guilt, we say to ourselves, ah, I'll tell you what, I'll give it in charity. So are we doing the charity a favor or is the charity doing us a favor? Are we doing the charity a favor? Or is the charity doing us a favor by creating space for us in our garages, in our sheds, in our lofts, in our wardrobes and cupboards? And helping us assuage our guilt of having to throw away and dispose of a valuable thing, which we no longer want. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, spend of the purest of what you have earned and what we have extracted for you. Aim, do not aim for the worst thereof. 
And then why do we do this? Allah then explains, because shaitan threatens you with poverty and Allah promises you forgiveness and grace in return. And wealth isn't everything, it's knowledge, it's wisdom which really matters. This is why the Prophet ﷺ used to pray, Allahumma inni asaluk ilman nafi'a wa rizqan wasi'a. Oh, sorry, the other hadith, Allahumma inni a'udhu bika min ilmin la yanfa'a, wa min qalbin la yakhsha'a, wa min nafsin la tashba'a, wa min da'watin la yustajabu laha. It's a beautiful hadith. Prophet ﷺ used to pray, Oh Allah, I ask you of knowledge which is beneficial. Not just bits and bytes and data and information, but beneficial knowledge. That's the meaning of wisdom. What's wisdom? Not just any knowledge, but beneficial knowledge. Prophet ﷺ used to say, Oh Allah, I seek refuge in you and protection from you from knowledge. Sorry, your protection from knowledge which does not benefit. And from a heart... That is not humble and devout. And from a soul which is never content. And from a dua which is not accepted. And these four are not random. They are all in succession and they are all a logical progression. Knowledge which isn't beneficial, which does not help a person, leads to a hard heart leads to a heart which is not soft and humble for the sake of Allah. A heart which is not humble to the truth of Allah leads to a corrupt nafs which is never satisfied. When the nafs is never satisfied, it leads to corruption of behavior and character, which means that one's du'as are not accepted by Allah. So, as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Fear of poverty goes hand in hand with fahsha, lewdness, indecency, corruption and sin. Now Allah has made promises, shaitan has made promises, but shaitan's promises are nothing but deception. And we will learn of that in the akhirah when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah says in the Quran, quoting the people of Jannah, وَنَادَىٰ أَصْحَابُ الْجَنَّةِ أَصْحَابَ النَّارِ أَنْ قَدْ وَجَدْنَا مَا وَعَدَنَا رَبُّنَا حَقَّا فَهَلْ وَجَدْتُمْ مَا وَعَدَ رَبُّكُمْ حَقَّا Allah says, and the people of Jannah shall call out to the people of the fire. And they will actually say to them, أَنْ قَدْ وَجَدْنَا مَا وَعَدَنَا رَبُّنَا حَقَّا That indeed we have found the promise of our Lord to be true. So have you found the promise of your Lord to be true? They will reply in the affirmative. And even that shaitan, that great deceiver, as Allah says, O people, know that the promise of Allah is true haqq. Therefore do not let the worldly life deceive you. And do not let the great deceiver deceive you. Because shaitan, being such an iblis, on Yawmul Qiyamah, as Allah quotes, Allah says, وَقَالَ الشَّيْطَانُ لَمَّا قُضِيَ الْأَمْرُ And shaitan will say, when the matter will be decreed in the hereafter, إِنَّ اللَّهَ وَعَدَكُمْ وَعَدَ الْحَقِّ وَوَعَدْتُكُمْ That indeed Allah promised you a promise of truth, and I also promised you. So even shaitan will tell us then, that I made you a promise, Allah made you a promise. 
But Allah's promise was a true promise. إِنَّ اللَّهَ وَعَدَكُمْ وَعَدَ الْحَقِّ Indeed, Allah promised you a true promise, a promise of truth. وَوَعَدْتُكُمْ And I also promised you. فَأَخْلَفْتُكُمْ But I reneged on my promise to you. وَمَا كَانَ لِي عَلَيْكُمْ مِنْ سُلْطَانِ And I had no power over you إِلَّا أَنْ دَعَوْتُكُمْ Except that I invited you. So we will have no defense that shaitan made me do this. Shaitan compelled me to do this. Shaitan incited me to do this. Yes, shaitan has huge forces at his disposal in order to fulfill his promise to Allah and his promise to us. And his promise to us was, I will surely mislead them, misguide them, lead them astray, deceive them, give them hope, promises. I will instruct them to sin. All of these are from the Qur'an. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, in response, when he made that promise to Allah that I will do all of this, what did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say to him? Fine. وَاسْتَفْزِزْ مَنِ اسْتَطَعْتَ مِنْهُمْ بِصَوْتِكَ وَأَجْلِبْ عَلَيْهِمْ بِخَيْلِكَ وَرَجِلِكَ وَشَارِكُمْ فِي الْأَمْوَالِ وَالْأَوْلَادِ وَعِدْهُمْ وَمَا يَعِدُهُمْ الشَّيْطَانُ إِلَّا غُرُورًا Allah says, in that case, وَاسْتَفْزِزْ مَنِ اسْتَطَعْتَ مِنْهُمْ بِصَوْتِكَ Arouse from mankind whomever you can with your voice. Amass and draw against them your khayl and your rajil. Do you know what that means? Your khayl and your rajil. Bikhaylik wa rajilik. Your khayl, your infantry. Sorry, your cavalry. Wa rajilik and your infantry. Khayl means cavalry. Rajil means infantry. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told shaitan, fine, you're going to, you're going, you promise to mislead them, do this against them, you promise to claim a share of my, no, of my servants, then fine, do what you can. Arouse whomever you can of them with your voice and amass against them, gather against them your cavalry and your infantry. And be a partner with them in their wealth and in their children. Allahu Akbar. Shaitan can be a partner not only in our wealth, but in our children, by the words of the Quran. And then Allah says, وَعِدْهُمْ And promise them. وَمَا يَعِدُهُمُ الشَّيْطَانُ إِلَّا غُرُورًا And shaitan does not promise them anything except deception. These are all the promises of shaitan. So he makes so many promises. And on Yawm Al-Qiyamah, he will actually confess and say, Allah promised you a promise of truth. And I also promised you. وَمَا كَانَ لِي عَلَيْكُمْ مِنْ سُلْطَانِ And I did not have any power over you. So despite his forces of infantry and cavalry, and his allurement and his arousing voice, despite all of this, he will say rightfully that I wasn't able to compel you to do anything. I merely, وَمَا كَانَ لِي عَلَيْكُمْ مِنْ سُلْطَانِ I had no power over you. إِلَّا أَنْ دَعَوْتُكُمْ Except that I invited you. فَاسْتَجَبْتُمْ So you accepted my invitation. فَلَا تَلُومُونِ So do not blame me. وَلُومُ أَنْفُسَكُمْ Rather blame yourselves.
ما أنا بمصرخكم وما أنتم بمصرخي I cannot save you this day and nor can you save me and then shaitan will turn against himself meaning everything that he did there are other verses of the Holy Quran as well which speak about this promise of Allah and this promise of shaitan in short Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala promises his forgiveness maghfirah and the akhirah and shaitan promises us the dunya and all that we seek in this world through wealth through fame through other things shaitan's promise is a false one allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's promise is a promise of truth and allah tells us repeatedly do not let the worldly life deceive allah promises true do not let the worldly life deceive you or the great deceiver deceive you and in our deception as allah says in another verse الذين اتخذوا دينهم له ولعبا وغرتهم الحياة الدنيا في اليوم انساهم كما نسوا لقاء يومهم هذا that those who turn their religion or who made their religion a thing of play and jest and the worldly life deceived them so this day we shall forget them just as they forgot the meeting of this day i pray that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala enables us to understand may allah make us amongst those who are not deceived by the false promises of shaitan may allah make us amongst those who realize who recognize the promise of allah to be haq and true and who realize it may allah make us amongst those who are not deceived by the worldly life may allah make us amongst those who are charitable in the best of ways who spend of the best of what they have in quality and in quantity and charity in islam isn't just about wealth It's about giving the best of yourself in everything your emotions your time your leisure as allah says lantanalul birra hatta tunfiqu mimma tuhibbun you will never attain virtue until you spend of that which you love so until we don't feel the pinch it's not charity it's not true charity when we give money we should feel the pinch when we spend of our time we should feel the pinch this is why charity isn't just about giving money that's never been the concept in islam throw money at everything it's never been the concept when the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam came to medina he did not make an announcement for charity and then give the contract for the masjid to be built by a group of contractors or builders now prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam build the masjid and he participated in the building of the masjid until the dust from the carrying of the stones and the bricks covered him as well that's how the first masjid or the prophet's masjid sallallahu alaihi wasallam was built that's the meaning of charity and that's always been the meaning of charity in islam it's not about just giving wealth in islam the solution is not to throw wealth above everything this is why there are many charities who will say to you more than your money we need your volunteering otherwise you end up with this discrepancy what do you have you have some people volunteering their time 
and others working for the charity, with the charity, but on a professional basis. <coughs> How is that fair? This is why charities often say that more than your money, we need your time, we need your support. We need your prayers, your moral support, your involvement. So spend of the best that you have, which also means time. Sometimes our time, our privacy, our leisure, these are more beloved to us than actual wealth. So we're willing to give a bit of wealth because we don't feel the pinch. But we surely do feel the pinch when it comes to spending of that which we love, our leisure, our privacy and our time. But even that is charity in Islam. I pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us amongst those who are truly charitable in every way. Wa sallallahu wa sallam ala abdihi wa rasooli nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'een. Subhanakallahumma bihamdik nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayka.